Amen. Well, we are so excited to be beginning a brand new series this morning on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And we are excited to see where the Lord is going to lead us through his word in the coming weeks. And excited to see how we can grow in our understanding and application of these truths. And so I do want to say before we get into the message this morning, uh, something I was going to mention before is we were so blessed yesterday to be able to, uh, I was able to be here to take part in the just helping with sound and things like that for the uh, graduation ceremony for the homeschool co-op that we have allowed to use our facilities the last couple of years. And so the last two years, a Seeds of Faith homeschool co-op um, began really kind of using our building back in the fall of 2020, the location that they were using uh, just due to COVID and things like that. And with the current building they were using being unavailable, uh, they approached us and said, hey, in a month, we need a facility to meet in for our homeschool kids. And at that time, I don't remember how many there were, but it got up to be about 140 to 160 kids. And they were like, we need a facility. Can you help us out? And we said, absolutely. So for the last two years, uh, basically on Fridays, like every other Friday through the school year, uh, this homeschool co-op has been using our facilities. And I was able to be here yesterday to help with some sound and things like that for their graduates. Uh, they had eight that graduated from the co-op. And it was just such an amazing thing to be a part of that, uh, to see these kids not only graduate, but to begin that next chapter under great encouragement of the Lord. And just to see the Lord involved in all of that through praying over them and and just parents. You got to hear some of the parents' testimony and things like that. So it was just a cool, amazing thing to be a part of. And so I say all that to say this, you get to be a part of that by supporting what God is doing here at our, at our ministry, at our church, uh, helping us to continue to do what God has called us to do. Uh, that's something that maybe many of you didn't even know about, or you knew a little about, but you're directly impacting those kids, those families that now have a place to meet, to gather, and to continue to do what the Lord's led them to do. And so thank you for being a blessing to them and helping them to be able to continue to do what God has called them to do. And so I just wanted to share that with you this morning. Thank you for that. Uh, as I said, this morning, we're beginning a new series on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And our goal is that over the next four weeks, we will discover a greater understanding of the Spirit, specifically the role he has in the world today and in our Christian lives. And so in your bulletin, you have an outline there, kind of some fill in the blanks. I don't always do that on Sunday mornings. If you know me and you come to Sunday night or Wednesday night, um, I'm a note guy. I love giving out notes and fill in the blanks and things like that. Uh, not because I think what I say is so amazing that you need to take it home with you, but I believe that when we can get these notes, get these, this information, get it home, study over it, look it over, get into God's word on our own. I believe that it can really help us to grow in our Christian lives. And so hopefully these notes will help you to do that. Now I know if you're like me, you probably already realized that has two sides. You're already probably like, mm, it's 1115. Where, well, what are we doing? So we will move through the material. So I believe that we'll be fine and we should be able to uh, get both sides filled in. If your personality is such that you really hate not having a blank filled in and you miss it, please don't holler at me from the audience. Please don't yell out, what did you say? Okay, let's not do that, okay? But you can come to me, talk to me later. I'd love to give you that if you missed one um, and we'll be able to get you taken care of, all right? But I know some of you are like, I missed a fill in the blank. I'm gonna fail the test. Like, it's not a test. You're fine, okay? You'll be all right. We'll get through this, so... Uh, but what I really want to do is dive into this topic, and it's something that we've, we've studied this issue, this doctrine of the, of the theology around the Holy Spirit um, on Wednesday evenings, on Sunday nights. We've, we've kind of touched on it here or there on Sunday mornings. Um, obviously, the Spirit is very involved in the church, and so we're going to talk about that. I don't want to make it sound like now that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, now he can do something in our midst. We understand the Spirit is involved in the preaching of God's Word, is involved in the application of God's Word, the Spirit it draws us to make decisions if we're followers of Christ to surrender. Obviously, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks here, most likely next week, that the Spirit is the agent of salvation, that without the Holy Spirit, we would not be saved. And so we're going to unpack that. What does that even mean? But this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to lay a groundwork, a foundational just baseline for our understanding around this idea of the Holy Spirit. The topic of the Holy Spirit is one in the church over the last maybe 50, 60 years that carries some level of confusion and interesting opinions. And so as I say that, 
I'm going to unpack some things over the next couple of weeks. Bear with me, okay? Because I know that I may say something that your background, even maybe what you think, may not gel completely with that. And you might say, oh, I don't know about that. Our goal is to get into the Word of God and to desire to see what does the Word of God say about the Holy Spirit. And then allow that to conform our thinking and our understanding of Him. We will talk about there's some areas of this confusion or difference of opinion or different things that we may end this series and you and I may still be on two separate sides of a fence, but it's not a fence that's offensive division. They're what we would call secondary issues. And so we'll unpack all of that. But I can kind of tell you from personal experience, I've had people that have come to me that have said different experiences they've had going to different churches and things that, you know, they walked in and God was moving and it was great. I I was uh, able to attend some classes at uh, the great Mott Community College in Lapeer, Michigan. And it was a beautiful facility there. I think it used to be the old mental hospital, which that concerned me. Um, The connection there, I wasn't sure I was okay with. I'm taking classes where? Uh, And I took evening classes, so that was even a little different. But there's all those stories you hear. But I was in this class, and it was, um, and I've shared this before in different settings, but it was, the class was called Multicultural Communications. No, multicultural interpersonal communications, okay? It was, I don't, I still don't know what we were supposed to learn from the class. I'm not really sure, but I got an A in the class, so that's all I really cared about. But uh, I kind of called it our group therapy class. Uh, I feel like every class was just sitting around talking about how we feel about everything. Oh, how does that make you feel? It's like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But it got out early on that I attended a Bible college and that I was studying to be a pastor And so all of a sudden I became the spokesperson for everything Christian or Jewish. (laughs) I wonder what the Jews believe about that. John, what do you think? (laughs) Sophomore Bible college, okay? We're just scratching the surface, guys. I don't really know. I could tell you next week. Let me go study my Bible and find out. But we were sitting in this little small group thing doing one of our feeling projects. And so we were talking about some things and all of a sudden it happened to, kind of get shared that this other woman in the group was a Christian and she, she yeah, amen. <clears throat> she, I was like, you're on next week. Okay. You're the answer person. <laughs> but she said it kind of like, she didn't say it like I'm a Christian. She we're sitting there's like four of us and she leans in and she's older. She's probably in her, I mean, fifties. So older than me, I was like 20, 20 years old. Okay. So she was an older student and she leaned in and she said, Hey, you're, you're a Christian, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, It's like, awesome, praise the Lord. Yeah, but you know, it's, I don't think it's something I'm really supposed to like make a big deal about, like, because people don't always believe the same thing and I don't want to offend anyone. So I'm just going to, you know, I kind of keep it to myself. That's one way to do it. Okay, yeah, sure, all right, we can talk about that later. And then so this other girl in the group, closer to my age, she went, oh, I, you know, you guys are, you guys are Christians. And I'm like, ha, your secret's out, it's on now, but... But she, we were, I was like, yes, I'm studying at a Bible college and hope to be a pastor one day or a missionary or something. And she goes, you know, I went to church a couple years ago. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And she's like, yeah, she's like, um, it was different. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, I walked in and it was just kind of crazy. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I, I don't know. It was just really weird. And people were shouting and running around. And she's like, I just, I kind of felt like I need to get out of here. And she literally looked at me and she said, I thought they were nuts. And I left. (laughs) So you've just heard the paradigm of how we think about what it means when the spirit's working in our lives. And there's, listen, I'm going to hit on some things. And in no way is it meant to offend anyone, no matter your background. Because some of you grew up in churches where the spirit was never talked about. Some of you grew up in churches where, I mean, you knew the Holy Spirit was there and you knew the Holy Spirit was involved in certain aspects of biblical history. But as far as practically, you never really had any teaching. You never really heard the pastor talk about the Holy Spirit. You never, you never really heard any of that. And so for you growing up in your background, to hear the Holy Spirit, your mind races to other extreme things. You think, oh, the Holy Spirit, that's not for my church, that's for those churches. I'm, I'm going to be as real as I can in this series. Some of you grew up in a background, and I'm going to use this word, and I'm going to define it, so understand what I mean here, with an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. 
And you might say, how can you overemphasize a member of the Godhead? It's unproportionate to speaking about Christ and the Father. That's what I mean by an overemphasis. Like, like you went to church and the Spirit was the number one topic every Sunday. Like you never really understood the doctrine of the, the, the Father, God the Father. Jesus, you knew he was your Savior, but that was about where it ended. So some of you grew up in one extreme background or the other, I'm going to say extreme background. And I hope that through this series, we'll understand biblically, neither one is where we need to be. We need to have a balanced approach to the things of God's word. We need to understand the Spirit's work because, by the way, he is working in our churches and in our lives. We don't deny him or ignore him. He is a member, as we're going to talk about, of the Godhead. But we need to be careful that because of certain groups, certain backgrounds, with an emphasis and an overemphasis on aspects of what they believe the Spirit is doing, some have fled that. By the way, as Paul said they would in 1 Corinthians, thinking they've gone mad. Those are Paul's words. So when this woman looked at me and said, I thought they were nuts, I was, so, I was actually kind of a little overjoyed. I was like, Lord, you're affirming the truth of your word. You said, and I actually looked at her, I said, can I just tell you something? I said, there's actually someone that wrote a letter to one of the churches called 1 Corinthians, and his name was the Apostle Paul. He agrees with you. He agrees with you. What you just said, he said could happen. So again, we're going to unpack this as we go through here. Again, also something interesting to note, uh, proof of maybe this overemphasis, in a sense, unproportionate to the other members of the Godhead or the Word of God, is evidenced and can be seen even in the fact that more books have been written about the Spirit in the last 50 years than all of church history combined. So 50 years, more has been written about the Spirit than all of church history combined. That doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't writing about the Spirit, by the way. But there's this push, and there has been a push over the last 50, 60 years to make the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the centerpiece of the church. Now, the Spirit's involved. We're going to talk about that. But it's interesting what Jesus said. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll point you to me. He'll point you to Christ. He'll point you to the saving work of Christ and draw you into that and open your mind to the word of God. So again, we have to approach this biblically and not allow extremes of man-made thinking to enter our practical thinking. There are, again, some that grew up with no emphasis and others who believe that certain groups or certain denominations have kind of cornered the market on the spirit. That, that the Spirit of God is really, when you talk about the Spirit moving, well, that's for, again, those churches. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. The Spirit of God is moving in the church, not a church. The Spirit of God is moving in the church, the body of Christ. The Spirit cannot and will not be confined to one church or one denomination. The Spirit is God, and God is moving in all churches if they are churches preaching the word of God. So again, we have to remind ourselves of this. Some see it that way, and some others that grew up in those backgrounds, they have been taught, you got it, no one else does. You got the spirit. These other churches, these other Christians, they don't know. You know. And again, what a division has been caused in the church. Some of these extremes, and again, I'm using the term extremes, some of these extremes take part in what I would classify as unbiblical activities. Again, the Spirit moves. The Spirit will move believers and work in ways among us that are genuine and true and biblical. But there are other things that I've seen depicted, mostly in the extreme camps. You can actually Google this. You can YouTube this, and it will literally blow you away. One of these examples is something that's called drunk in the Spirit. That's, that's a thing, drunk in the Spirit. And we're not talking about, some would say, well, in Acts 2, didn't they accuse the apostles of being drunk? It's actually kind of more of a snide remark from the crowd that Peter rebukes instantly. He doesn't go, yeah, and then proceeds to act drunk. He corrects them and says, no, 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 this is not wine. This is not, don't mock this. Don't, don't try to make fun of this. 
what I've seen of Drunk of the Spirit is literally a woman crawling on her hands and knees on the stage as though she's inebriated, unable to speak. People are stumbling around laughing at her. I saw one where a guy was on the pulpit just face into the microphone mumbling. And people are shouting and saying, oh, praise God. Man, where's the clear teaching of God's word there? Where's God being glorified there? Again, God moves and the spirit moves. But understand, there's, there are those who go to extremes in this and call it spiritual. We see biblical examples of people falling before the Lord, right? People falling face first before the Lord in a, in a humiliation of just, God, you are worthy and I am not. There's a, there's a biblical grounds for falling on your face before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you. And the Spirit drives us to that humility, not in a negative way, but a positive way. But we see depicted in some of these extremes, and some of the more extreme ones would be the Benny Hins of the world, where he takes his suit coat off and begins to wail it across, and a crowd falls backwards, or walking up and shoving people to the ground. I mean, these are extremes that I, I struggle with. And I believe, honestly, these are not biblical. Because in a lot of these camps, and again, I'm not talking about genuine moves of God. In a lot of these extreme camps, is God being glorified or is the man on the stage being glorified? Who's being glorified here? If Christ is not being exalted and the church is not being edified, God is not involved in that. Not in the sense that he's making that happen. It's a counterfeit. And it drives me crazy when I see these counterfeits being emphasized because God moves. We don't need the counterfeits. We don't need the fake stuff. God moves. God is still a God that moves in his church. Again, some of these things can be manipulated through emotion, even through music. If you understand music, you know there's certain melodies and certain things you can play that will provoke a certain response from people. I think it was Ray Comfort that said he was getting ready to preach a revival and the pastor basically said, how many converts do you think we'll get today? He said, well, how many do you want? And the guy said, what do you mean? He goes, I can preach in a way, we can do music in a way, we can make it happen. We can get people to have an emotional response. How many do you want? Or do you want the spirit to move and to be genuine conversions unto the glory of God? Because that I'm not in control of. Some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. See, we've got to be so careful here. Some of these things, and I've heard testimony of these by, from individuals that experienced this and then left these things because they realized the silliness of it. Service is going on for five, six hours where you're on your feet, just constant music, constant prompting from the stage. Finally, you're just, just overwhelmed. We play, we play on people's emotions and we produce these supposed results, and I believe it is not true conversions. Being filled with the Spirit, as we'll unpack in a cup, maybe next week or the week before, we'll see where the Lord leads. Being filled with the Spirit, as we will get into, is not evidenced by such counterfeits, listen to me now, but a life that overflows with the Word of God in such a way, it spills over into praise, into thanksgiving, and into obedience to God's Word and Him. See, being filled with the Spirit is not just a simple emotional response. It may involve emotion, and it will involve emotion, but it's not just emotion. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great revivalist preachers, he clearly said, you want to know what a true revival is? Is there obedience to God's word following it? Is there a glorifying of God? Is the preaching of truth happening? Is sin and grace being preached? Are there people that are falling on their face, surrendering to the will of God? That's revival. So these counterfeit things, let's be aware of. And let's desire biblical movings. My desire is that we will look into God's word and come to know the spirit of God from what we see therein. Some things we have believed of the spirit will remain. However, there may be other things that we have thought of the spirit that will be removed. We're going to go to John. We're going to look at a few different passages in John. I love John 14, John 15, John 16 talks about the spirit. So we're going to start there. We're going to read quite a few verses. So John chapter 14 and verse 16. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 757. And then obviously we'll go forward from there. But page 757 should place you in John chapter 14, verse 16. 16 through 18. 
And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That's such a key word there, another. We'll talk about that in a minute. That he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, or neither know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John 15 and verse 26. John 15 and verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit's going to do this work. Comfort us. The Spirit of truth that will open our eyes to truth and understanding. We will have this Spirit of God with us who will testify of Christ, who will testify of the things of Christ and remind us as he did the disciples the truth of who Christ is and his message. John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? It's good for you if I go away. That's so foreign to the disciples. All of this is happening during what we call the Last Supper, the upper room experience. Jesus begins teaching these things to his disciples. Why? Because they're going to start this thing called the church. And guess what they're going to need a lot of as they're beginning this thing called the church? Comforting. This is going to be a huge task and challenge for them. And he's reminding them, I'm not leaving you comfortless. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not walking away. No, I'm ascending to my father, by the way, where I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. I'm going to intercede for you on the right hand of the throne of the father. And I'm going to send the spirit of God who's going to indwell you, take up residence in you. And he's going to comfort you and guide you and give you wisdom and lead you into truth. The spirit of God is a gift from God. And one that we desperately need every moment of every day. At the moment of salvation, we receive the spirit of God in what is called the indwelling of the spirit. It is the promise Jesus makes here in John, not just to the original disciples, but to us as well. This morning, we're going to establish who the Spirit is before moving into what and how the Spirit works. We need to know who the Spirit is based on the Word of God before we can unpack how and why and where and in what ways the Spirit works. Again, remember, we don't know who He is and His role in our lives and in the world today. That's our goal. So let's pray and ask God to affirm these words in our heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Word. And we thank you for the reality that we can trust therein. Father, I know again that this is a topic that there's been so much written about the Spirit. So many things taught on the Spirit. Some of it good, solid, biblical truth. Others, Lord, things that really when I hear, read, or see, doesn't draw me to biblical examples, but draws me to more tribal ritual or pagan practices. Something in my spirit just doesn't feel right when I see those things because I believe ultimately, Lord, it's not glorifying you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would approach this with a balanced idea that, Lord, (coughs) for those, excuse me, Lord, for those that have never really studied this, have come from a background where there was no emphasis on it at all, or those that it was just every week there was something that was being pushed on them they were being forced to made to think that if they didn't have some experience, they didn't really have the spirit. If they didn't really do this thing, then they weren't part of that inner group that had that special thing. Father, I think about the damage those kinds of teachings have caused. People not even realizing that the spirit of God was with them all along. That they had the comfort and the peace available to them. And they were made to think they had to fight for it, work up for it, do something for it. Father, give us wisdom in this. Help us to approach this with an open heart and open mind. Be with me, Lord. Give me clarity of thought that I may communicate your truth effectively 
And Lord, not get in your way, but Holy Spirit, we do acknowledge and pray that you are the spirit of truth. And I pray that you would open our minds to understanding, to wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. Reveal your word to us now that we might grow thereby. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the person of the Holy Spirit. Some of this we're going to move through a little quicker than others. And so we'll kind of, you have your notes there. Again, if you missed something, please let me know. So the person of the Holy Spirit, he is not. So we're going to start with this kind of the who he's not versus who he is. He is not an it or an energy. He is not an it IT or an energy. The Spirit of God is not an it or an energy. Now I'll explain. He does move in a way that we would maybe describe as a feeling of like an, a force or an energy, but primarily he is not those things. Some describe the Spirit of God no different than the force from Star Wars. Just this thing out here, right? That's in and around everything. Okay, and most of you are thinking of Yoda talking right now in his backwards way of speaking. The Spirit of God is not the force from Star Wars. Okay, so if you learned anything in church this morning, what'd you get out of church today? I know something. The Spirit of God is not the force from Star Wars. Amen, hallelujah, let's go home. Okay, praise God, get the crockpots out, let's go. There's more to the Spirit than that. However, all throughout Scripture, the Spirit is identified as a person. As a person, just as the Father and the Son. The Spirit is immaterial without a body, but still referred to in Scripture as a person. He's not an it, something out there. He's a member of the Godhead, and he's given the, the attention of a person. In your notes there, he has intelligence. The Spirit demonstrates intelligence, Romans 8.27. As one example, he shows feelings or emotion. So he has intelligence, emotion, Ephesians 4.30. And he has a will, 1 Corinthians 12.11. So intelligence, emotion, and will. These are the three things that make a person a person. That we have intelligence. We can think. We can understand his emotion, we feel things. We, under, we understand things and then we feel emotional responses to these things. And he has a will. He can make a decision to do something. And he makes that decision as God. As God. But I would also add in agreement with the Godhead. We've been studying on Sunday nights the attributes of God. And we've been going through these 15 attributes. And one of the things we just talked about was that God can do anything he wills but he will never will to do anything not in agreement with his nature. So this is that silly question. Could God make a boulder so big he can't pick it up? If you say no, well, God's not very mighty, then he can't pick up a boulder. If you say yes, well, then why would he do that? It's one of those silly trap questions. The answer is God will never do anything that is not in agreement with the nature of God. He can do anything he wants but he will not do anything that's in disagreement with his nature. And the example we gave is God cannot lie. God cannot lie because it's not in his nature to lie. So the spirit of God is going to will and do things only in agreement with the Godhead, with the father and with the son. He's not going to rebel against the Godhead. So the things that Jesus said the spirit would do, the Spirit wills to do those things today. Jesus didn't assume these things. He knows these things. He has actions as a person. In Scripture, we see the Spirit guides. That's a person that guides. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit performs miracles. The Spirit intercedes. We read about the fact that the Spirit prays. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays. The Spirit is obeyed in Scripture, Acts chapter 10. The Spirit can be lied to, Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. And the Spirit can be blasphemed. We see that even in the Gospels, Matthew 12, 31. So the Spirit does all these things, guides, convicts, performs miracles, intercedes. 
And all these things show evidence the Spirit is not an it or a thing. The Spirit is a person, a member equal in the Godhead. So the Spirit is not an it or an energy. He is, letter B in your notes, God. He is God. We believe in the Trinitarian nature of God, meaning God, the Godhead consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is a teaching out there. Traditionally, it's been called many things, but more recently, within the last 50 years or so, maybe a little more, it's called Oneness Pentecostalism. Oneness Pentecostalism. It literally means God is not a trinity. God is one. But God displays himself in three different offices. So God shows himself as the Father in the Old Testament, as Jesus in the Gospels, and the Spirit in the church. And it's one God just displaying in three persons. And I've heard of this. I've read about this theology. I've kind of studied it out. It's obviously a heresy. It is not condoned by the church. It actually, (laughs) excuse me, was condoned as early as the 300s. So within just a short time of the church being started, the church councils got together and said, this is heresy. This is blasphemy. We cannot say this. God is Trinity. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. I was actually in a church just the other day, not to attend a service, but just there for another reason. And as I was kind of milling about waiting for someone, I saw they had a board of like different tracks. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I'm always kind of interested to see. I'm nosy that way. So I grab a track and right on the front, it says, is, how did it word it now? Oh, is there a Trinity basically? And I open it up and it's explaining all these things about the Holy Spirit is not a member of the Trinity, but the third office in the God or, or displaying of God teaching all these things about how supposedly the Holy Spirit is God, but it's not a Trinity. It's one God, three different offices. There's so much scripture that we could go to that would debunk that. But I'm telling you all this because again, I feel as though when the spirit is mentioned, we treat it differently than the doctrines of the father or the son. Here's what I mean. If somebody taught something in error to the word of God about the father, I mean, blatantly disregarded scripture and taught something in error, most Christians would say, whoa, 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 time out. Nope, you're not teaching that. We got to defend this. We got to speak against this. We got to defend what the Bible says. If somebody dares question the virgin birth of Christ, the, the substitutionary death of Christ, the fact that Christ is God, John, I am, he says it. We would stand and we would fight and we would defend and say, no, no, this is what the Bible says about who Jesus is. But I feel as though when it comes to the spirit, because we've been taught the spirit is more like this trying to nail jello to the wall. It's just hard to define. And we've been taught that it's okay to just say anything is spiritual because you believe it's spiritual. That we don't defend the biblical truth of who the spirit is because we're afraid that maybe we just haven't figured it out like they have. We just don't have the spirit like they do. And so Christians will make these outlandish statements and supposedly say, the spirit did blah, blah, blah. And we go to scripture and we're like, that doesn't seem to line up with scripture. And then we challenge it and they say, well, you can't challenge this because it's my experience. And this is where we get to a very basic understanding of how do we view God? Do we view God through his word or do we view God primarily through experience? How do you define God? How do you define your salvation? Do you define your salvation by how you feel about your salvation, your experiences of salvation, or do you define your salvation by what the word of God says about salvation? And I'm so so thankful I don't go off of how I feel about my salvation. Because I'm telling you right now, there's been a lot of times I didn't feel very saved. But he says, I'll never let you go. I'll seal you into the day of redemption by my spirit. And so again, we have to stop and pause and say, are we willing to speak biblically? Even if it's uncomfortable, that means I grew up with no Holy Spirit. And so to think about the Spirit doing this, mm, that's uncomfortable for me. Or I was taught some things that are supposed manifestations of the Spirit that are not. Am I willing to adjust to Scripture? When I was reading that track, my heart broke. Because I looked in the auditorium and I saw chairs, which made me realize they have church here. And people are being taught this heretical nonsense. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, three in one. 
They are equal as God, but three distinct persons. God the Father is God, but God the Father is not the Son. People go, well, it's like an egg. It's like a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's like, no, it's like none of that. <laughs> if anybody starts with, let me tell you about the Trinity, it's like a, just stop them. Mm-mm, nope, time out, we're done, okay, because you're not going to do it justice. We obviously in our finite minds cannot fully understand the reality of the Trinity, but the Bible reveals that God the Father is God, but God the Father is not the Son. And God the Son is God, but God the Son is not the Spirit. And God the Spirit is God, but not the Father or the Son. Three in one. In your notes there, number two, 16 times, one six, 16 times, the Spirit is related by name to the other two persons of the Trinity. Sixteen times we see this connection. Number three, Jesus promises to send another helper in John fourteen six. We read that. The word for another means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. See, we talked about in our study through Galatians, Paul says, if anyone preaches unto you another gospel, and we said that's another that's not the same kind. And I used the illustration of cereal when we were growing up, you know, and there's frosted flakes and then there's frosty-o flakes or whatever you get in the bag, you know. And I said, it's not the same. It's another of not the same kind, right? Captain Crunch and whatever the other one is, okay? I wanted Lucky Charms. I don't want magic stars, okay? I'm not... I'm not going through that. It's another of not the same kind. But Jesus says here, this helper is another of the same kind. Jesus is not saying, I'm going to send the comforter. And by the way, the comforter is me. Right? That's not what he says. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to send the comforter to you, who's the spirit of God, who's the third office of my godliness that's going to be on display. No, he says, I'm sending you another comforter. By the way, how can he send the comforter and pray for us on the right hand of the throne of the Father if they're the same person? It's a different person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is also referred to as equal with the Father and Son. Famously, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. The reference there, this is, uses the singular name, which strengthens the proof. I'm going to go there just quickly. I wasn't going to turn there, but I want to read that just in case you're not familiar with that text. <clears throat> Excuse me. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, nations, baptizing them in the name. One name. Not names. One name. Of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. See, it's one Godhead. Three distinct persons. Moving forward here, we understand that the Holy Spirit has the attributes of a person and is God. Has the attributes of a person, intelligence, emotion, and will, and is God. Clearly from Scripture. Also, he is the author. So number two, letter A. He is the author of God's word. He is the author of God's word. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that would be page 857. 857, 2 Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verse 20. Who verily, verse 20, 2 I'm sorry, 1 Peter Lied again. Look at that. Lying in church. Okay. Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty. Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty. Yes. Let's take a second, get there, okay? First Peter I need a V eight. All right, so oh anyway, vegetable juice. That's like carrot cake. They just don't go together. Okay, moving on. Stay focused. Thank you, Lynn. Lynn's got me. So verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, 
but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, the Spirit of God is the author of Scripture. The phrase, any private interpretation in the King James, is not referring so much to how we understand God's Word, but dealing with the origin of God's Word. It did not come from the prophet's own understanding, but from the Spirit moving among them. Even in the Old Testament, when, when Moses sat and wrote the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God was active and moved upon him. I, I love the word here, superintended. Moses didn't become a robot and just wrote with no knowledge of what he was doing. The Spirit of God moved upon him, taking his own personality, his own uniqueness, and wrote through him the word of God. This is huge, by the way, because so many people will question the reality of creation, and they'll use the argument that Moses could never have understood the complexities of evolution, being such a simple man. So God had to give him a way to understand this, and it just is a way of illustrating this. No, no, no. The Spirit of God moved. It is the truth of God's Word, and God revealed to Moses what needed to be recorded, and it's truth. God wasn't dependent upon Moses understanding everything he was writing. I would contest that there's many things the prophets wrote, and I believe didn't fully understand in the moment. I believe that's why you see a lot of the prophets so heartbroken at times, even when they're referring to their own prophecy. They can't believe what's going to happen. And they know it's true, and they know it's good, and they know it's an honor for God, but it breaks their heart because they know, I don't fully get this. I don't fully get this. Why? Because the Spirit of God moved upon them. I will pause here for a moment and say the Spirit of God is not authoring new books of the Bible today. There is no new revelation, meaning new words of God. When, when God ended revelation, that's it. So those in even different groups or individuals that have claimed that God gave them these golden tablets, Joseph Smith, oh, God gave me a New Testament of the things of Christ. And he wrote them down, supposedly, delusional from heat exhaustion, most likely. But claimed, oh, no, the Spirit of God moved upon me. No evidence of that. It's foolishness. It didn't happen. So again, yes, God authored the word of God, but when he sealed his canon, the canon is done. The spirit of God is the breath that Paul wrote to Timothy when he said all scripture is inspired of God or God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. And that word breath there is the spirit of God. So again, when Paul wrote to Timothy, the Spirit of God was moving upon him. The Spirit is the author of the Word of God, and that is vital to our Christian lives. Why? Because Peter says they didn't follow fables, but the truth of God's revealed Word. Not only is he the author of the Word of God, he is the illuminator of God's Word. The illuminator of God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, go over just a few pages. 1 John chapter 2, and I, I do have it right this time. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 20. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not any, or that any man teach you but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it taught you, you shall abide in him. You see, the spirit of God is the illuminator of God's word. He opens our minds to understand the word of God, to teach us the things of God, to reveal to us the things of God's word. And I use the word illuminator and illumination because we're not talking about new revelation. It's revealed. When Paul wrote it to Timothy, revelation. When I read it 2,000 years later, illumination. It's already recorded. It's already revealed. I don't need a new revelation. I need a better understanding or maybe a new understanding of what's been revealed. And I believe this is important. Some people think, ah, oh, you're just splitting hairs. I don't believe so. 
Because it's a pretty thin line to jump from God revealed this to me from his word to then God revealed this brand new thing to me that only I have and you don't have and you need me. No, no, the word of God is sufficient for all believers to know all things we need to know of God. We don't know all of God in God's word. I mean, John says, if we tried to write it all down, we don't have enough paper, enough ink. But the Bible is sufficient. Again, basic Christianity, basic understanding, 2,000 years, this is the foundation of our faith, not someone's experience. Someone's experience may be affirmed by the word of God. You may experience a move of God, an act of God, a time that God moves, and you have this amazing moment with God, and you go, man, God, you just showed your word to be true through that. See, we start with his word and move to experience. We never start with experience and move to his word. Because then, now all of a sudden, whose experience is right? What's the plumb line? Oh, man, we need to be faced with the reality that this is our standard. Everything we hear of God goes through the lens of Scripture. And I'm so thankful that we don't have to understand it our own. We have been given the gift of the Spirit of God to open our minds to the truth. Now, are we going to give ourselves to that? Are we going to surrender and be willing to be in the Word of God? All believers have received in Christ this anointing. Again, so many people say, well, I've been anointed by God in this way. We've all been anointed by the Spirit, John says. All believers have received this anointing to understand God's word. That you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, this word teacher here in this understanding of teaching is not referring to necessarily the pastor teacher in Ephesians chapter 4. It's referring to human teaching, human understanding. That you need someone to try to understand and explain the word of God to you through human lens and human mind. No, no, no. The spirit of God is the one that illuminates our minds, the truth of God's word. Again, this is key. Since the spirit is the author of the word of God and the spirit is given to all believers at the moment of salvation in full, then he is able to open our minds to his word. God does not leave us without what we need. That's the point. This is key when we come to understanding the role of the Spirit that he plays in salvation. John MacArthur actually says it very well. The Spirit opens to us an understanding of divine truth. The Spirit opens to us an understanding of divine truth. Carnal man cannot understand it. We need the Spirit of God to enlighten and illuminate our minds. Number three, truth revealed by the Spirit is unknowable to the person outside of Christ. Truth revealed by the Spirit is unknowable to the person outside of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. Not going to read that for time's sake, but I encourage you to take a point of reference to that. You see, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians is that no one knows a person but the Spirit of that person. And no one knows God but the Spirit of God. And aren't you thankful that God gave us his Spirit, that we might know him and what he has prepared for us? In conclusion this morning, I want to wrap up by giving a simple application. It is vital that we understand who the Spirit is and who He is not in our Christian lives. The Spirit will open our minds to the truth of Christ, guiding us and pointing us to Jesus. However, this takes effort on our part to spend time in prayer and study of His Word. But when we desire his wisdom, he tells us he has placed within us the teacher of God's word. You are not, when, when somebody says something about God that you know the Bible says is not true, and you start to speak and discern and correct that, it is not because you're smarter than them. It's not because you're better than them. You have the teacher. You have the teacher in you. He's opened your mind to this. Now, does that mean we won't disagree on things and have discussion on things? No, of course we will, because we're all still growing. We're all still understanding. But when it comes to the key truths, the key doctrines of God's word, I believe the Spirit will guide us into all truth, that we might glorify God. And so my challenge is this. Are you listening to the teacher? Are you spending time in his word that he might illuminate your mind through the word of God? Are you spending effort there? Because he's given to you. You have him. We just need to spend time with him that he might open our minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We praise you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. We pray that as we go to this time of invitation, that we'd respond to what you're doing in our lives. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, you would guide us and direct us. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, that they would realize it's not a religious thing, it's not a denominational thing, that it's a Bible thing. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need salvation. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again. And that anyone who places their faith and trust in you will be saved, forgiven of all sin, sealed unto the day of redemption. And so we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, they would come to know you. Father, for those of us that do know you as followers of Christ, I pray that we would spend time giving effort daily to your word. In your word, that you might enlighten us and give us wisdom and understanding that we might live biblically in accordance with it. Father, thank you for the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who comforts us in difficult seasons, the one who guides us. If all else leave us, we will never lose the Spirit because you said you give us the Spirit unto the day of redemption. So thank you for your beautiful gift. And I pray that we would cherish it, value it, and enjoy every moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we're lighting a song of invitation? Would you respond this morning? Maybe we'll come and thank him for his spirit. Thank you. Thank him for the gift of the enlightenment he gives and understanding. Or maybe you want to come and say, Lord, help me to be faithful to your word this week, spending time therein as we respond.